We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? At least there's pizza, Nick. Yes, at least there is pizza. I mean, that's been a popular topic on Nets Twitter because the Nets have not been too popular themselves. But before we get started, as always, you know, check us out on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But Jack, six straight losses, you know, a beatdown and a heartbreak loss, you know, in this back-to-back against Memphis, against Memphis and Washington. It's been a real struggle. What are your thoughts on the team right now? Not directly about the games, but their overall thoughts of the team and the direction they're in. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to sort of analyze it off the basis of the sort of this mini stretch here, Nick, because there's been so many ups and downs. We were talking a little bit just before we started recording that you get caught up in the emotion a little bit. You sort of think irrationally. You make rash calls, which is what Twitter is for and all those <laughs> wonderful things at the same time. But I think looking at the direction going forward, I think the Nets lack a lot of things and we simply aren't a great team. We're not, we're not even a good team yet. And I don't think that that's a hot take by any stretch of the imagination. D'Angelo Rutten, we don't have any great players either. I think it's reflected in our roster construction, like you said to me as well. And Coach Kenny's not a great coach. Sean Marks, you can argue, is a good GM, but I don't think he's a great GM yet because I think that Alan Crabb move probably takes away a lot of the great things he has done but he has made some good moves. So I think the Brooklyn Nets franchise as a whole is good, but we want to be great and we need to do a lot of these things that we're not doing and all the mistakes we're making. And yes, the officials have had a massive impact in the last sort of couple of days, but I, I think a lot of it needs to be, the onus needs to be on the Nets players, the Nets coaches, the Nets officials, all these sort of people are from the franchise top down. Yeah, just overall, like you said, Jack, and when a team, you know, whatever you want to call the Nets before the season started, you know, an average team, above average, slightly below average, when any team that's not great or not good and doesn't have multiple All-Stars loses their best player, 
there's just going to be a big drop-off. You know, there's just not a lot of guys that can fill the role that Karis LeVert had for this team, and that's obviously going to hurt them. And like you said, there's issues with the roster. You know, Sean Marks has done a great job so far, but he needs to, you know, get the wins. They need to have playoff experience. They need to get in there and really contend for him to be considered a great GM. Same thing for Kenny. You know, obviously some of it has been questionable rotations, lineups, and adjustments out there, but, you know, we won't be able to fully judge him until he gets a great team too. So I think it's a whole bunch of – just like maybe we had too high of expectations because of the way the season started. Levert really pushed him to another level, and just there was a lot of excitement about the team and the potential about the playoffs when it wasn't expected to happen for a couple years. And, you know, this year we thought there was a real possibility, and now that's kind of all blown away with what's going on right now. But I agree, Jack. I think the team just has more strides to take. Yeah, I think it's the the nature of being a fan and being a Nets fan more than any other. I mean, I can't imagine being as long-tenured a fan as, you know, you and many of our listeners, but, you know, I've struggled a bit in the past five years or so that I've sort of become a more fervent fan, but it, it's just a, a, a struggle and it, it's going to be a struggle for the Nets and a lot of other franchises in the NBA. We are not alone in trying to build, you know, a, a ready-made, consistent playoff contending team. Uh, and there are different ways to go about it. The Nets are going down their route. Uh, there are going to be plenty of steps to take along the way. A lot of the right moves need to be taken. A lot of steps need to be taken forward, like you said, and acknowledge strides in terms of plays individually, as well as the coaches, the development team, uh, the GM, and Sean Marks and his team as well. So I think everyone needs to take that step forward. And I think that uh, until that is happening, then we maybe shouldn't judge the the Nets uh, as, as we are. But if we're uh, analyzing them now, yeah, we're just not good enough. Yeah, it just hasn't been, you know, they haven't gotten better enough in the areas they've been bad in the last few years. You know, that's rebounding, that's defense, that's closing out games. They've all been an issue. Jack, in your eyes, what would you say has been the biggest issue on this six-game losing streak? Has it been coaching? Has it been player performance? Has it just been the roster overall, just not enough talent? Well, I think it's, yeah, probably the roster overall enough talent, but I think in the roster, you know, these guys are NBA players. A lot of the guys that we have on our roster, you know, it's necess- it doesn't necessarily mesh well. So whether that's a coaching thing and Coach Kenny being able to distribute his minutes and find the light, the right lineups. I think Spencer Dinwiddie uh, spoke last season about the fact that he struggled with the new role when D'Angelo came back. I think he's shown a, a little bit of struggle so far being reinserted into the starting lineup because, again, another role change. So I think Consistency is key with, a, with people in life. You love to sort of have these similar routines. You know what's going to happen. I think Spencer struggled a little bit with that sort of change of role, despite the fact that he has still been pretty good uh, so far. He's you know still been one of our better players. But I think executing is the number one thing, Nick. You know, our players, I've, I've put the owners more in our players than a lot of other people on Nets Twitter. And I think the brunt needs to come to them, you know. Coach Kenny can only drop so many players. He can only throw out so many different lineups where it has to be, look, you've got to make these shots. You've got to, uh, you know, get these stops on the def- defensive end. You've got to not make these mistakes. You've got to take care of the ball. So for me, it's the players number one, and then everything else is sort of just, you know, a combination of, you know, number two, three, and four, wherever you could probably throw a dart at it. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think it's mostly on the players so far, just like overall making shots. You know, you're looking at, we'll go kind of get into the Washington game, which the Nets lost in the second night of a back-to-back, you know, 0-6 on second nights of back-to-backs this year. 33rd straight loss on the second night of back-to-backs on the road via Ryan Rucco on uh, Yes Network. So it's just, you know, the second night of back-to-backs on the road have just been terrible for the Nets. And tonight they shot 37% from the field. And that number probably seems a little bit higher from the garbage time minutes and the garbage time makes. But overall, like if you're not making 40% of your shots in a game, you really don't have a good chance to win unless you're playing elite defense, and the Nets aren't capable of doing that. 
No, they are not. And I, I think for the most part of the game, it was hovering under that 35% range. So yeah, a couple of garbage time buckets of Fareed, Musa, and those sort of guys sort of inflated that a little bit. But, you know, 24.2% from three. If we weren't making our free throws like we did, 20, 25 uh, from the line, then, you know, I don't know what the scoreline would have been. It was just, uh, it was certainly lethargic. I think that's one thing that the Nets need to sort of, I don't know what it is on back-to-backs. You know, the good teams are able to just go out there and even show something. Uh, the Nets just haven't been able to do that. And that's through, you know, the whether that's the talent, whether that's leadership on their roster, whether that's Coach Kenny getting the guys motivated and energized, you know, to start the sort of first quarters and, you know, stay consistent throughout. Um, I think that it's a combination of factors. You can't pin it down to one thing, but there's a lot of things wrong with what the Nets are doing when it comes to closing out and starting games. There's just... Uh, plenty of issues going forward if we want to uh, turn ourselves into a playoff contender. Would you say the biggest problem in this Wizards game was just like straight up energy other than shot making? Yeah, I think energy and shot making, uh, there's a correlation between that. You feed off, you know, made threes. There were a couple of times where there was some back-to-back threes and then a timeout was called and it's sort of, it was a, not, a good timeout called by Scott Brooks, obviously, uh, because then it sort of took away the energy, the consistency, that sort of vibe that you get to sort of keep the stretch going. Um, you know, you get to the line a little bit, but at the same time, you don't get that same intangible energy from made shots, whether it's a tough bucket, whether it's an and one play. You know, a couple of times, Ed Davis did his thing, but he didn't get enough minutes tonight either, as we, as we talked about uh, off wax, Nick. So I think, yeah, energy on back-to-backs is a, a real key thing. And I don't think uh, any of our guys really showed it enough. And, you know, I don't think any of them really showed it uh, at all. And it's not like the Wizards were playing great. It's not like they were coming out either and playing super energetic and, like, shutting down the nets. They were just playing a little bit harder, making more shots. So it was an opportunity for them to win this game. And you talked about it kind of leading in the leadership. Looking at the two lead guards on the team, Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell, both very quiet games. Both guys finished with eight points. Uh, Spencer was three of nine from the field. D'Lo was three of eight from the field. Uh, combined for five turnovers. Just not a great performance from those two. And the Nets are going to win. Those guys need to put up points. You know, you're probably going to need to see at least 35 points between the two of them. Yeah, and we saw, I think it was something like 58, 57 points between our our three guards uh, against the Grizzlies. Those are the sort of performances that you need. And when we did uh, versus Washington, uh, Washington last, uh, again, in a away game, it was Spencer and D'Angelo leading the way. So if you're not going to have your two best players on paper, you know, being able to make a statement out there, then it's not going to go well. Um, despite the fact that Alan Crabb was average, you know, I, I think average overall, which is still probably our best player for the night. Uh, Alan Crabbs, with the form that he's in, he's in, is it going to win you many performances? Yeah, it definitely is tough. Like, it feels like if uh, D'Angelo and Spencer aren't having great games, the Nets really have no chance to win. You can't have your top scorer scoring 14 points and expect to win a, a game of basketball unless everyone else is scoring 12 and 10. We had three guys in double digits, you know, one day with 11. For an NBA yeah. game. <laughs> It's, yeah, I mean, we scored nine, 39 points in the first half and then up to court, uh, three-quarter time, you know, 58 points. Uh, obviously, the short-making energy like we talked about. But, yeah, Ronda Hollis-Jefferson with 11 and Damari Carroll with 10. You know, you can't, that's just not going to happen. You know, on any day uh, in today's NBA, especially with the, the scoring explosions that we've seen you've chatted about on the outlet, it's just not going to ca- cut it. And the Nets have been above average offensively, as we've talked about before, but we're certainly coming down to earth uh, with this game, especially. 
Yeah, but going to the game, I think they were like 11th in offensive rating. They're probably taking a nice drop, scoring 88 tonight. Uh, Jack, what do you think was the issue with Spencer and D'Angelo? Was it just like them not having energy, just not in the mindset tonight? Something Washington did, the coaching staff not put in a great position? What do you think was the problem for those two? I think guys are starting to scout the Nets a little bit better. They know what we do. They know our tendencies a little bit more. I think that they're garnering a little more respect individually. And I think that Spencer and D'Angelo are having a tough time adjusting to that. I touched on a little bit of Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, being inserted into the starting lineup and the chemistry issue he's sort of having with D'Angelo. You know, there was that was evident as well in the Grizzlies' performance as well. Um, I think that, you know, you take out Carol Levert, like we mentioned, it's changing things and changing the overall cohesion of the squad. Um, I think Spencer is still a, a great performer. D'Angelo is still has plenty of upside, but these guys need to continue. There's been more times than not that we've spoken about that their lack of chemistry has affected our performances and their performances individually. We've probably touched on maybe three times where they've probably been good together. Um, but then if you're have your two best players not performing well together, like if you were to say that about James Harden and Chris Paul or whatever other backcourt you CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, you're going to lose games. And, and that's, that's going to be a straight up fact for the Nets until those two can find their footing. Yeah, it feels like I said this to you too before is that sometimes it's like the other one just watches why the one is operating. Like let's say D'Angelo's running a pick and roll, Spencer just sitting in the corner or D'Angelo's running the show, Spencer just kind of gets pushed to the corner instead of any type of movement where they're playing off of each other. It's just like wait and see, kind of like we saw with KD and Westbrook back in OKC. And it's just not going to work to win games because those two just aren't as talented as, you know, KD and Westbrook were and they couldn't even win a championship. So I think just Spencer and D'Lo need to find something to mesh or maybe, you know, I was wrong and they shouldn't play together and need to break up their minutes even more. Yeah, I think as well, they haven't spent a lot of time together in their tenure together since D'Angelo came to the team. You know, when we've spoken about the individual roles, most of the time they haven't been forced together in lineups and closing lineups or whatever because there's been guys like Karis LeVert, D'Angelo's been a starter, Jeremy Lin, all these sort of guys. So they don't have this on-court chemistry yet. Uh, I saw... Uh, when I was watching a little bit on my phone yesterday, the Grizzlies game, they, they were starting to talk a little bit more. So I think the communication is there. I think they just need to know and find each other's tendencies. You know, I think both of them are very good with Jared Allen and the pick and roll because they both spend a lot of time with him. And you just, through time, you just know a, a person's, a player's tendencies. So I think that's going to come, uh, but we need it to come quicker rather than later because uh, it's starting to become a, a bit of an issue. Yeah, it definitely is, and it's just something they need to kind of find if the Nets want any type of chance of having a competitive season and improving on last year. Jack, are you starting to question some of, you know, obviously the, the last few years to talk about the Nets has been they've been gritty, you know, competitive, fighting games. Do you feel like they're losing some of that this season and they've been a little bit more lethargic and lack of energy? Yeah, I think they have, Nick, but I think a lot of that has to do with, um, we've talked about roster construction and, you know, I, I think at times Coach Kenny needs to sort of lean on his guys a little bit more, whether it be uh, these energy sort of guys, be it Shabazz Napier, be it Ed Davis, be it Rodion Scorts. Those are three sort of energy guys that I sort of think, for lack of a better term, and they're provided in different ways. And I don't think Coach Kenny leans on those guys enough. And that's not obviously a criticism of Coach Kenny more than anything. I think most people would probably say that. And he would say that himself. You know, Coach Kenny, when he's been speaking to the media lately, has taken a lot of the brunt of the criticism over his players. You know, he's sort of been a lightning rod for a lot of Nets fans' hate. 
and he's taken that on well. Um, but I think, you know, energy comes from the players. You need to set the tone and set the standard, be that a leadership thing from a guy like D'Angelo or a guy like Spencer. Spencer seems to scream out energy a little bit more, but a lot of the times his energy can be misdirected, you know, towards the officials and stuff. Uh, I think it was Sarah Kustok or Ryan Rucco in the Grizzlies game saying that he earns fouls, you know, the six most, 9.6% on drive. So he's getting calls, but he continues to sort of argue. And a lot of guys do do that. And that's fine. But I think his energy can be misdirected at times, on occasions. Not all the time, but it is a minor criticism I have of him. D'Angelo Russell as well, I think, doesn't scream, you know, vocal leader. And, you know, if you're comparing this to sort of Kawhi uh, pop situation, I think D'Angelo leads in different ways. And and I think, you know, you can define leadership in however way you want to. But I think D'Angelo leads by finding his teammates and finding his own and sort of being able to find that balance. And I think it's tough for a young player, be it a 22-year-old, to find that sort of consistency. But yeah, we need that energy. And, and I don't know how we're going to find it and who needs to step up, whether it's Ronde as well. But I think Ronde's uh, role has changed in his sort of consistency or however he's like executing. I'm waffling a little bit, but I'm hoping I'm making sense to you and Nets fans. Yeah, no, I understand what you're trying to say. Ronde's play and his you know execution of himself out there making shots and just it's almost like he regressed a little bit as a player. So it's harder to kind of give him that energy. And not to get back to Karis LeVert, but you know, he did a great way of leading by showing energy on the floor. You know, those hustle plays, getting on the fast break, the extra on defense. I think Spencer and Delo show that sometimes. They just don't do it consistently enough for the rest of the team to kind of pick up on it. And like you said, Jack, they need to get some of the energy guys. Rodion's awesome minutes tonight what did you like from what you saw from him the first play that like he comes out there he's just like okay i see an open court here bang i'm going right at it and he does the same thing consistently the three ball wasn't necessarily falling uh, as much as we would have liked but he just goes hard at it and you can't you know discount that fact so whether that's going to earn him minutes going forward will remains to be seen but I think as well, touching on that energy thing as well, Nicholas, uh, Joe Harris being out of the line at the past two games, he's a natural guy that just brings consistent energy in whatever on whatever side of the floor. So I think having him out and seeing Alan Crabb sort of, who's timid by nature and I think needs sort of, you know, positive reinforcement, be it, you know, the shot falling or, you know, teammates around him. Uh, I think Joe Harris is a guy that provides intangible energy as well. So uh, I think basketball is a sort of sport that requires that sort of, uh, energy. Uh, you're going to have to name this episode Energy or something, or <laughs> E for Energy. Uh, but I think that's what we need, uh, especially when you are a team that is less talented like the Nets are. Yeah, and you mentioned Joe. He's a big part of the offense, not because of his playmaking or creating, but just his movement off the ball. And that kind of infuses energy into the team, into the offense, and he really helps. Alan Crabb moves well off the ball, but it's not the same as Joe Harrison. Like you said, you know, Crabb can definitely get into his head sometimes, and he just looks like all over the place. You really just don't know what to expect from him. Yeah, and I think that's probably going to be the criticism of him going forward. And I think it's, you know, we're over a quarter way through the season now. And we haven't seen, other than, you know, some very minor flashes, sizzles in the pan from a guy like Alan Crabb. Uh, it's just, uh, I, we can only say the same thing so often about him. But we need, you know, a guy like Joe Harris to sort of balance out that sort of perimeter threat. And as well as, you know, just that energy and that sort of movement off ball like you touched on, Nick. Now, do you have any faith in Crab kind of getting back to some of that form we saw late in the season last year? Or are you kind of giving up on Crab and just that contract's going to be pretty rough for the next, you know, rest of the season and next year? 
on a scale of Mozgov to you know <laughs> who's on of, to Spencer Dimony who's on an awesome contract and I have a lot of faith in, I'm certainly more towards the Mozgov side of it because uh, despite the fact that you know it's a better deal so to speak in that you know Alan Crabb can play at least um, he can't play very well and I think that's just to to sum it up bluntly um, until you know Coach Kenny will always take the the brunt of the blame for his players and that's one thing. That I love about him because he's he's a he's a very player driven coach. He loves his guys no matter what, and he's always going to sort of take on the uh, their sort of criticisms to sort of you know ease their ease their load, so to speak. But I think you know behind closed doors, can Alan Crab, uh, you know, does he deserve a, a, a spray, so to speak? Does he deserve you know sort of like look, this is what you need to do, and if you're not going to do it, then we're going to lessen your minutes because I think the positive reinforcement can only go so far that you need to change tack a little bit. So. Well, that could be the, the same for said for, for any number of guys. But, you know, I, I think, you know, we know, uh, judging by how Alan Crabbe's tenure has been with the Nets, how he has responded in in certain ways. But, you know, it's, uh, I'm not a coach. I'm not Coach Kenny. I'm not a, uh, within the Nets locker room. I'm not on the planes. I'm not on the buses. So uh, it, it's a mystery to me, Nick. Now, Jack, if Crabbe were to, let's say, continue this, you know, negative play all the way to the end of 2018 going to January, do you think it's fair to reduce his role to you know something light off the bench where maybe he's seeing twenty minutes or less? Uh, yes and no, Nick. Because who's going to replace him? Like to be honest, like uh, I know a lot of fans will say, "Oh well, like let's get Mooser out there, let's get Pinson out there." Yeah, that's all well and good, but at the same time, they're not necessarily NBA ready. I know you've mentioned that as well. I think that they aren't yet either. I think you know you can increase a guy like Rodion's role. You can maybe increase the minutes of a guy like Shabazz Napier. Maybe you give even increased and inflated minutes to Spencer and D'Lo, but uh, and when Joe Harris comes back as well. Um, so I think that there are ways you can do it, but I think Alan Crabb is going to continue to get minutes. You know, the the investment was made by Sean Marks. Uh, Coach Kenny has a lot of faith in him, probably too much than uh, is warranted. But uh, I think we're going to see Alan Crabb, you know, playing you know, 25 to 30 minutes probably for the foreseeable future unless we see, you know, some unexpected changes, which could certainly happen. Yeah, or a trade or something along those lines. Like you said, it's almost like he's getting minutes by default just because of what the Nets need and they need that shooting and, and they, they're hopeful for the spacing, but it really hasn't come this year. Jack, uh, any last thoughts on the Wizards? You want to touch on Jared Allen real quick and obviously a little bit of fatigue for him tonight? Yeah, I think it's been a consistent issue with Nick. I still like Jared Allen's bad games aren't as bad as some of our other guys. As like bad he, as Moscow's last year. <laughs> oh, well, obviously, that, that's yeah. without saying. But you could even compare it to some of our guards. And I think because they need the ball in their hands a lot, I think Jared Allen is still setting screens. He's still you know, showing his energy on the glass, which I think he has shown a major step in, especially on the offensive glass, whether, you know, Ed Davis has been, you know, in his ear a little bit or he's just seen the sort of example he has set. Um, I think that's one thing that we can't question, but he's going to have his off games. He's 20 years old, as we say, you know, on more than uh, plenty of occasions. So he's going to have his off nights, but I don't think he was our worst performer uh, this evening, uh, but he wasn't our best either. Yeah, that's fair. He was definitely not the worst but like you said, it wasn't one of his best games either. You know, at least, you know, he did put the effort in on the boards, and that's always great. But, you know, second nights of back-to-backs are definitely giving him some, you know, hurt. And like we talked about, maybe Ed Davis could hopefully see more minutes in the future on these nights. But talking about – oh, go ahead, One Jack. thing that's on Jared Allen as well I wanted to touch on, Nick, because I've got the box score in front of me. 
I think he needs to clean up, and you mentioned this on your Twitter as the game was unfolding. He needs to clean up taking care of the little uh, of the ball much more. Five turnovers from a center who doesn't have a high usage rate is far, far too much. Um, and I think that that's one area that he can easily fix up. And that comes with just, you know, engagement and just making the right calls, making the simple calls. And, you know, you talked about, you know, uh, that lethargy that he's shown and the team has shown overall. But five turnovers is far too much for a big man who doesn't have the ball in his hands a whole heap. Yeah, and a lot of that tonight was just, you know, dropping passes, going off his hands or getting the, you know, the rebound and slipping out of bounds. He just needs a little bit stronger with his hands and catching the ball and just going straight up and trying to get the foul. You know, if you miss a layup, that's okay. It's better than turning over the basketball. But getting on to the real heartbreak, and that was the Memphis Grizzlies game last night. You know, the Grizz won 131-125 in double OT. And, you know, I'm sure most of you already seen the two-minute report from the NBA that there was eight incorrect calls, six going against the Nets, especially two in regulation, including that four-point play by Jaron Jackson, which should have been offensive foul. Then the inbound turnover from uh, D'Angelo Russell should have been a foul on Jaron Jackson as well. You know, the refs cost the Nets essentially seven points. But, Jack, what were your feelings about this one and losing what was probably one of the biggest heartbreaks of the season, if not the biggest? Yeah, I mean, it sort of it brings us back to a, a lot of thoughts from last season, Nick, a lot of feelings from last season. Uh, I was watching it on my on my phone unfold as I was at my auntie's 60th birthday. Nice, um, happy birthday, so, auntie! Yeah, yeah. She, she uh, it was it was a good it was a good day, but at the same time, uh, hard to enjoy it when you are so invested in the Brooklyn Nets as as we are here at the Buzz. But yeah, just uh, I as much as the referees, I I'm one of the sort of people that is like. You know, you can only control what you can control. And we've talked about that a lot. Yes, the officials probably did cost us this one, but we put ourselves in that position at the same time. So I don't know if you want to put a percentage on it, Nick. I'll, in fact, I will I'll ask you. If you're putting a percentage on it and the fact that, you know, the Nets, you know, uh, were up seven with 33 seconds to go, how much of this uh, game going down the drain was on the Nets and was on the officials if you're putting a percentage on it, you know, 50-50, 40-60 or whatever? You know, this is tough. Overtime, you know, there were some missed calls, and I don't think that was that big. But at the end of regulation, 30 seconds, the fact that the Jaron Jackson play, that was a four-point play, and it was a seven-point game, you know, even if he was to make that three, they're still down four going to the next possession. Even if they get the inbound turnover, they have to foul. I'm going with a high percentage, Jack. And I originally, looking at it and going thinking about it last night, I was like, you know, maybe the inbound play wasn't really a foul. The Jaron Jackson one maybe was questionable. I think it's like 65 or 70 percent on the refs. If you have a seven-point lead with 30 seconds left and the refs are causing the other team to get four points and then you're at the very least, if they're not getting the foul call, they're getting two free throws. And let's just say D'Angelo goes one of two in that situation. You know, they're still up four. It's just like the refs really put them in a bad position. Yeah, the Nets could have done some things better. Like they could have closed out better on the Jaron Jackson tying three and not allowed him to get a good look. But other than that, like there wasn't really a ton. And you could argue that Spencer Dillon, he was fouled on the last play regulation as well, going to the rim. So I think if we're just talking regulation, I would say 65 to 70 was honestly on the rest. Because if you have a seven-point lead with 30 seconds left, like just assume there's no foul calls in that situation, then that's win. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll probably agree. I'll probably say 60 to 70% uh, myself as well. Um, I, I think that as well, there was that Marcus Gasol box out where he basically elbowed. Honestly. Yeah, and it was it's pretty ridiculous that it keeps coming down to our nets. And uh, uh, we talked about this, and I want to you know broadcast this a little bit on the buzz as well. I'm I'm getting a little bit tired of Coach Kenny, you know, the politician, you know, 
we were in Washington tonight, so whether that was the case or had an effect or whatever. Um, but <laughs> Kenny I'm, for governor. <laughs> yeah, Kenny for governor. I mean, he'd make a great politician. I, th- I think one of my mates has said, like, he just looks like a politician, a guy on Wall Street. But uh, in in defense, in lack of defense for Coach Kenny, sorry, uh, I want to see him be a bit more demonstrative when the camera's on him, when the reporters are in front of him, because we see that energy when he's on the sidelines. We see him all in, and you know he could probably get a million texts. There aren't many coaches who are more demonstrative than he is. But when the you know he's asked the questions by the Nets reporters and and the away reporters, you know he's saying all the right things. Yes, oh, we're we're valuable for the last few minute report for that transparency. You know, <laughs> bullshit, bro. Like seriously, I'm not fucking grateful for it. I'm like, why do we need to like have that broadcast? I, I think that the Nets PR guys are doing a wonderful job of broadcasting. And sort of making the Nets credible in the way that they're interacting with the higher ups in the NBA, but I wouldn't mind you know a bit of Fizdale action from a guy like Coach Kenny. You know, take that for data. You know, it's bullshit. Like, let's back up our guys. And you said, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Nick. Uh, I know them, but I'd love to for the Buzz <laughs> listeners to hear them as well in relation to some of other coaches. And because Kenny loves his players and he loves the game so much. Show that passion and, you know, we'll pay the, we'll start a GoFundMe for you, Kenny, if you want to pay that $10,000 because we want to see that, you know, that Brooklyn grit or, you know, whatever sort of spirit that, you know, the Nets have, you know, displayed to the media because that's what, you know, other fans see and that's what is broadcast to, to the rest of the NBA world as well. Yeah, it almost is like the Nets are trying to be too political. And I think it's just not Kenny. I think it's Sean Marks. I think it's the whole organization. I understand it's trying, trying to set the culture. But like you said, Jack, Sometimes he just needs to come out and be like, you know, it's just straight bullshit. Like, it's happened to the Nets way too many times and a lot higher rate than a lot of other teams in the NBA. It's not like it's just happening to them, you know, once every 20 games. You make the argument on Sunday's game against Philly, you know, Joel Embiid traveled even though the NBA said that he didn't. There was calls in that game that were incorrect that went against the Nets and they lost the game. It happens way too much to the same team for the NBA not to really do anything about it or mention to the refs or make sure the Nets are getting better refs because it obviously is something going wrong. And even just like specifically Spencer Dooney, I feel like he's a guy who just does not get calls. And there was a call in overtime that went against him where Garrett Temple fouled him three times and then he happened to knock the ball out of his hands and it touched Spencer last. Like, dude, if you're going to review, and this is on the NBA too, not to get off topic, but the NBA, if you're reviewing a play and there's a clear foul and the ball goes out of bounds because somebody fouled them, it should be the team's ball that was fouled, just like the WNBA has, like Ryan Rucco brought on the broadcast. If you see the foul, it should go to the right team. It shouldn't just be this, you know, nonsense where, oh, whoever touched it last. If there was a foul, there's a foul. You need to kind of make the adjustment there. And they go back to the Nets, like you said, Jack. You know, one thing, Jason Kidd wasn't a good coach for the Nets, but one thing he did do when we were talking about this before is they were in that first round series against Toronto. Joe Johnson was getting hacked. He was getting fouled every play. The next game, I think it was game five, he went in on the refs. Game six, Joe Johnson went to the foul line double-digit times. That's something Nets need to do. I think Kenny, once in a while, just needs to be like, you know what? That's trash. The rest cost of the game. Because they're really like, you know, I understand what he's trying to say. Like, we have to be better ourselves. But how much better because the Nets have been in that situation if you're down seven and the refs are resulting in the Grizzlies getting seven points? Like, I don't know what they could have really have done that would have been that much better that would have guaranteed them a win. Yeah, I think you're on the money there, Nick. And I think if you're comparing Coach Kenny to some of the other sort of coaching luminaries of, uh, I think the only sort of guy who has, you know, this high up reputation that doesn't sort of make those comments is Brad Stevens. And even he's known for an outburst or two. Yeah, he's been fun before. Exactly. So if you're comparing him to like Stevens, Popovich, Kerr, all those guys, Doc Rivers, you know, all these sort of guys, Thibodeau, uh, I mean, I'm not as high on Thibodeau, but he has, you know, an, an established sort of resume. 
oh, I think Coach Kenny needs to have an outburst or two for him for himself to get noticed. And I think a lot of the Nets guys in general, other than Spencer Dinwiddie, aren't going to sort of make those sort of arguments. You know, D'Angelo Russell is generally, whenever we see him sort of not get the calls, he's a, a very level-headed. And I think that that is a positive of his, but it can also be like a, a guy like, if this is going to be our leader going forward, we want to see that real passion from you at the same time, which Spencer does show on more than occasion. And I guess, like I said, it can be a bit of a negative, but uh, in relation to Coach Kenny, I think he needs to, you know, uh, it goes to, those um, fines go to charity, don't they? Yeah, they do. They go to charity. And so I'm sure like, Mikel, the owner, wouldn't mind uh, helping him out with a fine either. So Yeah, and Joseph as well. These guys have got deep pockets. Who cares? Like, you know, it's going to a good good cause anyway, we, especially after that Memphis game. Um, if it's not going to happen then, then when is it going to happen? So I think that more than, you know, game time coaching, so to speak, for Coach Kenny, uh, I want to see that uh, passion that he's showing on the court as a sideline coach, you know, off the courts when the mic is in front of him too. Yeah, and I think that, like, and not just on Kenny, like we we're saying, it's kind of on the Nets organization and changing their tone because I'm sure it's coming from the PR from Sean Marks to kind of stay relaxed, not go off on the refs. And, you know, like you said, Jack, in any occasion it should have happened, it should have happened after that Grizzlies game. There's really no excuse about it. It's like the NBA can say whatever they want, but six incorrect calls in a clutch time situation, the end of the fourth quarter and two overtimes, you know, six going against the Nets, it's just like, it's just not right. It's not fair. Like, there's no way to put it. And it happens to the same team way too much, especially because it's documented. Yeah. And I think that when you are asked post-game, you know, the, the Nets media people who do a, a fantastic job, um, they go to the players and they go, okay, this is the sort of tone that we want to set. This is what we want to say, um, which is why, you know, you wait an hour, half an hour. You don't go directly to the players right after when they're uh, equally heated. So, I think that's one thing to watch going forward uh, to see, you know, how the Nets respond, you know, in the media, whether it's the the coaches or the players after those sort of close losses, because you know, there's still plenty of uh, season to go left. And I'm sure that we're, we're going to be in that position uh, sooner rather than later. Exactly. It's bound to come again. I mean, Jack, what did you have any thoughts you wanted to go over the game? I mean, there's not really a ton to say. The Nets didn't play great in this one. They had a really nice fourth quarter run to start the fourth, and they won the fourth 31-26. Obviously, that closed out in the end. You know, like we said, some of it was on the Nets, but mostly on the refs. And overtime one wasn't terrible. Overtime two, it looks like they kind of ran out of gas, and Mike Conley just took over, and they had the better players. Yeah, I thought we played, as a, if we're looking at the performance overall, I thought we played quite well, Nick. You know, we got a lot from our guards, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. Tamari Carroll had his sort of comeback game. And he continued that to, to a, a small extent in, in the Wizards game as well. So it was nice to see him find his footing, whether he finds himself in the starting lineup for, for Ronda Hollis-Jefferson. I'd personally like to see it because I think he can space the floor much better. And I think that despite the fact that Ronda is probably maybe a marginally defend, a better defender, when it comes to our offense, which is our strong point right now, Tamari just adds so much more. So nice double-double from him. Ed Davis continues his consistency. Probably our most consistent player this season. Uh, and we shot the ball well, and we got to the free-throw line. So all the the entire, all the ingredients there were for a win. It just was, you know, the officials were that, you know, that, that poison, that antidote to sort of getting into the W. Yeah, and I liked some of the things I saw from Jared Allen this game. Not, like, super productive in terms of offense. You know, he had 18, uh, 15 points, 5 of 5, 12 rebounds. Five, actually, 5 assists, though. The passing was very nice. And he had a couple of really strong rebounds inside against Marcus Gasol. I felt like there was a point in the third quarter 
where uh, Jared Allen just like completely out jumped Marcus Soul by like a foot. And I think at that point he realized, wow, like I'm that much more athletic than this guy I'm going against. Let me take advantage of that. And we saw him kind of glide to the rim on a couple rolls, really use his quickness on the offensive board. So Jared Allen had a really great performance. And, you know, we saw Spencer Dinwiddie have some big moments in that fourth quarter too. D'Angelo had some big moments in that second overtime, but both guys didn't really shoot well from the field. It's about trying to find that consistency out there in times of like shooting a decent percentage. I don't think you need to shoot 50 50 percent but they still need to shoot like mid to high 40s you know 30 35 is not going to cut it yeah reading the floor and knowing what play to make and you know d'angelo did it on occasion you know doing those pull-up threes which have become somewhat of a weapon of him i'm still not ridiculously confident in it uh, but for him to become you know an elite player that's going to have to be a real weapon of his but he still you know has an awesome floater game but you know i i think both guys didn't read the game nor each other well, as we sort of talked about, you know, at length already. So, uh, and when you have your guy who is running the floor on those occasions, going down the stretch in clutch play, I think the Nets uh, have a long way to go when it comes to clutch time performances. I've done a piece for Nets Republic before. Uh, of it was our guy then. Uh, so I think it's going to be, you know, a, a play by committee, whether it's D'Angelo, whether it's Spencer, whoever it is, uh, we need to improve that. Yes, the officials, uh, did cost us this one, but as well, we had our chances. We didn't make it, so uh, it has to be on us a little bit as well, as we sort of talked about. Yeah, and I think uh, you brought up Karras again. Not only was his offensive closing, you know, missing this one, I felt like defensively on Conley, you know, Spencer tried to do his best, but he's just not as good a defender as Karras Levert is, especially with that wingspan, his ability to kind of fight over screens. And I felt like they really lacked him in that fourth quarter in overtime, and that's something we talked about, no one be on the step up as a perimeter defender on this team. Yeah, we uh, were pretty bad defensively, and we don't have defensive talent outside of Jared Allen right now to sort of be able to lift us. And only he can do so much, you know, when he's at the rim, uh, sort of, you know, doing cleaning up the sort of dirty work. And then when so he does, speak. it seems like the other team just swoops in for an offensive rebound because no one boxes out his guy. Exactly. So he can only do so much where he has to sort of manage it. And I think he's done, you know, a, a very, very good job of that, being able to read, uh, so to speak. And we've sort of talked about in, in season previews and in, and in season reviews about his ability to read when to make the right play defensively. I think he's done that a lot better uh, this season uh, to date, but, you know, he's not getting enough sort of uh, backup. And I think Spencer Dibwoody and D'Angelo Russell, we've seen, you know, D'Lo make some nice plays and, be, his acumen has grown. I think his intelligence has grown, but he's still never going to be a great defender. But I think, you know, when we have uh, you know our, our best defender and all NBA caliber, you know, I'm not saying that from my own words, I'm saying that via Zach Lowe, um, then I think we're going to struggle. And I think it's going to be defense by committee committee so sorry yeah and that's you know you mentioned uh, defense by committee jack and that's when the nets are at their best when they're playing defense you know team defense they're helping they're rotating you know everybody putting in that extra effort that fourth or fifth rotation when they're moving the ball and that's when they're at their best especially when they're playing small that's what they need to do and so many times they're just not putting in the extra effort defensively and that's what they need to do if they want to win games but jack anything else in the grizzlies game you know maybe we can move away from some of the negativity <laughs> yeah that, that's i'll i'll hop on again i think damari will be in the, student, the starting lineup sooner rather than later. I think he deserves to be. And this isn't to say uh, a blight on, on Ronde because he's putting up decent numbers. But 
I don't see him impacting the Nets in a positive enough fashion on the defensive end that it uh, exceeds uh, the sort of devaluation he gives on the offensive end with his lack of spacing. Despite the fact that he did make a three, um, just even though he thought he was going to miss it himself and was yeah. going to get his own offensive rebound. Um, but Not I a think, positive but, sign. <laughs> no, but, you know, and we're talking about it as well with Damari as well, the fact that that contract is expiring. Do we flip him as well? I think if we find him and continue to uh, bring up his value, and he's doing that himself without, you know, in playing in the starting lineup. But he's getting the the minutes that are required. And I think, you know, if you're talking about uh, the conversations we've had at length with the power forward, you know, Damari doesn't really like playing the four, but he can switch enough, and he's showing plenty, and he's doing the right things to earn a starting spot, if not at least, you know, increase minutes. Yeah, he's he does so much of the small things, and that's what will help really, you know, increase his trade value is that teams know that he brings some of that intangible when it's just, you know, poking the ball out, getting there for a rebound, helping his big, you know, the team defense rotating to the right guy, knowing the tendencies of NBA players. He's really great, and I'm happy to see him kind of – he said that was the best he felt last night. Obviously, you would assume in the second out of a back-to-back he probably didn't feel great. Interesting to see how he plays next week against, you know, Cleveland and OKC in Toronto. But getting away from the last few games, Jack – we got a t- couple topics to talk about. You know, we brought this up before, and now after the Washington game, it's not as great a topic. But um, should the Nets really consider making the extension offer to Dinwiddie right right away, as soon as the date comes up? What is it, December eighth? Yes, I believe it is. Um, I personally would, Nick, because I've spoken at length with Brian, with you, that I don't think the Nets are going to get that flashy superstar free agent. I think. At best, it's a Tobias Harris. And I would rather have Spencer Dimity on a below-market-value deal, on a good deal, than Tobias Harris on a near-max deal, which I think would be inflated. You know, yeah. if, you compare, if you're comparing the pair, what would you rather have? Um, I think a, a lot of people would agree with me. And for those that wouldn't, I'd be happy to debate with you, you know, where to find it at the JMN JVT. But, you know, Spencer Dimity is at the level of, you know, of a Marcus Smart who's on... 452. He's one of the better backups. You know, Lou Williams is on an absolutely bargain basement contract. Just at that, uh, I believe, just about eight million per year. Uh, so I think Spencer deserves that deal and then some. So if I was Sean Marks, I'd offer it, but I don't think he does because uh, he's all about that flexibility going forward. But uh, it'd be a nice sort of repay of faith for a guy like Spencer Dimity because I don't think we don't know how much better Spencer is going to get. But even at his worst, he is still a very valuable player. And he still has youth on his side. He's, you know, in his mid-20s. He's not going to get uh, fall off a hill anytime soon. By the end of that contract, it's still going to be of value. So personally, I would. But um, would you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I'm not completely sold on it yet because I still believe in the flexibility. And that doesn't mean that I don't think they should re-sign Spencer. But every game, I think I'm starting to lean more towards it more and more. Just getting him in-house and... Signing him to that contract actually adds to his value because, you know, it's a tradable contract. Now you don't have to worry about the fact is you could lose him in free agency. And if a team, you know, let's not say they trade him in the offseason, now the team already has him signed to that deal or something along those lines. So it actually kind of could boost his value. Obviously, one year, whatever he's at, veteran minimum, is still great. But then the team knows it's a long-term fact that they're going to get Dinwiddie. I don't know if they could trade him at the extension. I doubt they could. But just saying if they wanted to move him in the offseason or something like that, I think it just makes sense. And point guards are so valuable at the worst case, he's your backup of the future. And funny enough, I think on one of the first Brooklyn Buzz pods, we talked about how we'd be okay with Dinwiddie being the backup point guard for the Nets for the next 10 years. And that looks like it could be a real, you know, scenario to happen. So 
Yeah, and I think you talked about you know how important the point guard position is. You know, there are plenty of teams right now that would love to have a Spencer Dibbley. And if we were to sign him on that contract, like you mentioned, is he as tradable? And probably not, but I think it's still a very tradable contract. You know, maybe Terry Rogier does usurp him in that sort of sense because he is on a, uh, a below market value deal. But I think teams will still want uh, a guy of Spencer Dinwiddie's talents, be it Orlando, be it uh, the San Antonio Spurs, be it the Phoenix Suns. Plenty of teams need point guards. It's a point guard driven league. As much as the game is trending towards the big man, these unicorns that are coming around, uh, the most important position is the guy that has the ball in his hands the most, and that is the point guard position. You know, Jack, moving on from there, you know, we kind of talked about this off wax a little bit. How bad do the Nets just need like a score? Somebody who just goes out there and gets buckets. You mentioned somebody like Lou Will. Somebody who can just go out there, you bring him off the bench, he's going to give you like an instant 10 points. Nick, you're not talking about Carmelo Anthony. You're not, you haven't been watching <laughs> Instagram videos, have you, my friend? Uh, no, I haven't bought into the hoodie mellow hype in a long time. But uh, it mentioned you mentioned the four position as two being a need. Do you have any interest in bringing Mello to Brooklyn? Oh, man. Uh, I know our, our dude Flatbush and Atlantic is sort of buying in more to it by the day, but let's just give those minutes to Rodions, please. Like, as much as, yes, you mentioned Scorer, and Carmelo Anthony is one of the best scorers of the modern generation, but I just don't see it. And as much as, you know, he has his ties to New York and Brooklyn as well, um, I'd just rather us focus on the youth that we have right now. Um, it's, uh, I think, if any, in any place... Brooklyn is probably the where the most where he could add value outside of New York because I think he could still be okay there as a sort of bench guy, just a a presence. And I think he could as well in in Brooklyn as well. But I, I think the value that we have already with our young guys, you know, I think that there's more... I would rather go after a guy like, you know, an Alec Burks who has been traded. You know, these sort of stretchy sort of wings who we can add in later on who are below market value, you know, has only shown a little bit in New York as well. I prefer to go down that youth route. You know, if it's Kamala Anthony for 60 more games, maybe. Um, maybe brings a little bit of buzz, you know, a little bit of uh, uh, some sold jerseys and a, a few more bumps on seats. But uh, I wouldn't hate it, but I, I wouldn't like it either. Yeah, Jack, like the Carmelo situation is so interesting. If the Nets were like destined and they really needed to make a push for the playoffs and be competitive, you know, maybe Melo would be the route to go. But like you said, I'd rather just see Rodions get the minutes or give it to some young guy or bring somebody up from the G League and kind of let them, you know, earn a role for next year's team. Yeah, I mean, Theo Pinson, uh, Jadon Moussa, uh, Rodion's courts, these guys are showing uh, enough. Alan Williams as well, uh, I'd be remiss to mention him. You know, these are guys that are earning their keep, you know, in the G League and are making, you know, the Long Island Nets are, are going to be plenty uh, plenty fun to watch. And I'm going to make sure that I hit up a couple of games, as, as many as I can while I'm in New York over the January period. But, um, oh yeah, it just makes a lot more sense. And I don't know if he fits the sort of Brooklyn mold, so to speak, but um, I've been surprised before. Yeah, you never know. You never know with the Nets. They have everything in mind. Uh, you know, mention you mentioned some trade ideas. Is there anybody you have in mind? Obviously, there's been some recent talk about Frank Nilakina. I know Corey's mentioned me. Tyreek Evans hasn't really worked out great in Indiana. Any guys in mind that you think the Nets could go after to try to either get a young piece for the future or get a player to kind of help them be more relevant right now? Not as a big-time vet, just like a basic guy. Give me some Brandon Ingram, Nick. I'm all in on the Brandon Ingram hype train. Uh, I don't know why. I just think that from what he showed last season when he had the ball in his hands, I think that fits the Nets pretty well. Um, I don't know what it's going to take. And, you know, obviously 
he still has these ties to the Lakers land and when is it going to happen? So many people are putting out these trade ideas and I can't help but, you know, be somewhat enticed by the prospect because, man, the Nets need a wing and a talented wing and Brandon Ingram has that in spades. And I think that, you know, under the tutelage of a guy like Coach Kenny, I think we could see something special from him and he would probably automatically be our best four and we could play these really switchy lineups. I think he's got enough defensively to show. He's got length, all these different things. Um, So I'm going to start a new sort of hype train on the Brandon Ingram uh, bandwagon, but I don't know how likely it is to happen. But, you know, you you spoke of guys, you know, Otto Porter is going to be within the mix. I'd rather just send him to the Kings, just let him do his thing there. Yeah, Uh, I'm not interested in him anymore. (laughs) But there aren't a lot that come to sort of spring to mind, which is why I I like to throw out the sort of more wild, far-fetched ideas. I mean, Ingram would be great. It'd be a perfect fit. And obviously, offensively, there's a lot of promise. Defensively, there's potential, too. He's actually was my most improved pick, and that's not looking very good at the moment. But, uh, you know, I I would love to see him in the Nets uniform. Like you said, I I don't know. What would you have in mind to send to the Lakers? Oh, man, everyone just talks about straight-up stuff for D'Angelo Russell. Um, But Magic said all that negative stuff about D'Angelo. Do you think they'd really, like, you go back on his word and trade for him? Or God, no. God, no. Um, I think more just Twitter... Luminaries just have just you know throwing out, just having fun, yeah. Uh, as we you know love to do, it's always it's the beauty of the NBA, it's the beauty of this game, it's the beauty of this league. Uh, I don't know if there is a trade package available. Uh, I threw out uh, when I was, uh, I think I can't remember if it was for the OTG off on my own page, or it's just like uh, let's just trade one day for Jaron Jackson Jr. Why not? <laughs> uh, he'd be so good as well. It, it's fun to just sort of savor. Just it, it's awesome. There's just a lot of young talent in the NBA right now, so. I don't know what sort of guys the Nets are looking to target, and we obviously want that big fish, but, you know, the draft looks pretty good at the top end as well. You know, Zion would be pretty good, but that's not necessarily trade-worthy. Obviously, it's going to be uh, heading in the draft. So uh, I don't think that there's enough on the trade market right now for the Nets to sort of make that big move. But, you know, if you're talking about getting more assets and stuff, maybe they could, you know, uh, dump a guy like Damari Carroll on New Orleans, Houston, Detroit, any of these sort of teams, and maybe get... I don't know Stanley Johnson, but again, those names aren't sort of going to uh, really uh, rotate the dial that much, so to speak. Yeah, would you be interested in including the Denver pick if it was a scenario where the Nets got a young player back that has some real potential? Oh, absolutely, because I think that Denver is going to be a top three, uh, at a minimum, a top five seed in the West. So I think that that pick makes a lot of sense, and if we can get you know a young upside prospect, then go for it because I think our pick is going to be. Uh, far more valuable in that sense. And I don't know how much longer you can go down the the route of just accumulating young talent before you turn into, you know, the Sacramento Kings or the old school 76ers, unless you have that elite prospect, which Karis LeVert is or has shown. I'm not sure if he is uh, long-term. We will have to wait and see on that. He, he has proven it to uh, a small extent. And D'Angelo Russell has yet to prove it uh, enough for me either. So... Uh, I want to get some guys in here. Uh, and if we can do that through a trade package, then I'm sure Coach uh, Coach Kenny and Sean Marks will be more than open to that. But the packages that are out there, you know, maybe our fans probably know a bit more than us. So at OTG, at OTG Nick, at the JMAJBT, and at OTG Basketball, you can hit us up there, slide in the DMs, uh, or hit us up on Twitter in the mentions. Yeah, it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. Obviously, this, uh, December 15th is when uh, new signed players can be traded to. That's when the transactions really pick up. And like you said, it's going to be an interesting situation of what the Nets do. We've talked about it over this next month. We'll have a better idea where the team's going. Obviously, six straight losses is leaning more towards playing the young guys and 
not fully tanking, but not having a great season and not really competing. And I think you mentioned it with the talent they do have. You know, the only two guys in the team that I think you'd be willing to lock in as starters moving forward, you know, bearing any setbacks injury-wise, would be Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. You know, D'Angelo, we're unsure if he's a starter-type player yet. Same thing with Spencer. We think, that, you know, he's a fringe starter, at least, you know, a very good six-man. But I think right now you just look at us, Allen and LeVert as your two starters. Everything from there you don't really know. So getting another young piece that you really could build around would be huge. Is that going to come via trade? unlikely but you never know you could get lucky you could get somebody's leftovers and they turn into a great player yeah i couldn't uh, i couldn't agree with you more yeah and you know talking trade wise about who they dump it's going to be tough for them to get a first round pick trading any of the vets they have in the team i think like we talked about it last year is almost going to have to be a package where maybe you're trading Damari Carroll and Shabazz to a team that needs a little energy with a point guard and they're looking for a wing in Damari Carroll. I don't know what you're going to get back. You could get a late, another late first-round pick. I think that'd be great, and that'd be the most ideal or a young prospect. Other than that, I don't think they're really interested in like salary relief unless it's Alan Crabb. Yeah, unless there's you know three-way trades out there and such, um, you know the machinations of uh, NBA front offices are fascinating. We all love to be. I can you know, go for a five-team trade. <laughs> yeah, we all love to be desktop GMs every now and then, but uh, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. You know, there's calls happening, texts happening. Uh, unless you are Adrian Wojnarowski, which we all want to be, we all would uh, love to live that life. But uh, it'll be fascinating to see what moves the Nets make, uh, what deals they're a part of. But uh, our name is being brought up, you know, more often than it has been over the past few seasons because of our, you know, increasing young talent and, and as well because the franchise is on the rise. So uh, that should have our name in, you know, uh, plenty of trades uh, in the in the coming months uh, as the trade deadline approaches at the end of Feb. Exactly, because there's a lot of players on our squad that aren't necessarily great on their own, but they could be nice pieces adding to a contender or a playoff type team. Now, Jack, you mentioned pizza has been the talk of NBA, of Nets Twitter so we want to get in the pizza conversation a little bit. You know, we're obviously not located in Brooklyn, so we can't give you the top pizzerias over there. But, Jack, what are your favorite pizza toppings? Yeah, this is um, going to be uh, the coldest take of all time, uh, but I love pepperoni. And it is... <laughs> It is. I thought you were going to say something crazy. <laughs> not at all. I'm not, I'm not like a pineapple dude. Like a pineapple and pizza is just the most sacrilege thing ever. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to like me, but I actually do like pineapple and pizza. I don't think it's good. All right. Well, like when we're hanging around before we like go to a game at Barclays or whatever, we are not like going, I'm not sharing a pizza with you. I'm getting my own, my own pie. Like, let's put it that way. Um, I know a lot of my friends that love like the, you know, the barbecue chicken pizza with pineapple on it and stuff, but. I'm just not a fan. Like, you know, if I'm if we're sharing or whatever, I'll always pick off the pineapple because uh, it's just not my cup of tea, so to speak. But yeah, I just love me, you know, classic, just sort of American style. Uh, that's what we call it over here. It's like an American or Americana because it's got pepperoni on it. What's the Australian what pizza? Like, what do you have? Do you have like pizza called Australian pizza or no? Yeah, we do. There's an Aussie pizza that has um, a ham and egg on it. Um, Interesting. So, it's pretty nice. The egg adds, you know... A, a, it's like a, a nice, breakfast pizza almost. It is a little bit like a breakfast pizza, but I think like the tomato, there's still the tomato base to it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's still, you know, a, a pizza pie, so to speak. So uh, I, I, I don't hate the Aussie style pizzas. Um, I'm not a big fan of like, you know, doing too much with it. You know, I think you can't go wrong with just like, you know, a plain cheese or a plain cheese and tomato slice. Um, you know, last night I had just, you know, a nice margarita, which is, you know, cheese, tomato, bit of oregano sprinkled on some herbs and spices. Um, that's just uh, simple is best uh, when it comes to the NBA a lot, Nicholas, and it is with food and, and a lot of other things. So 
Uh, I'd, I'm, be, I'm interested to hear your takes because I know we, we have similar Chipotle loves, but uh, I, I'm already uh, discouraged at your love of <laughs> So I'll say this. I think when you're, you know, grading a pizza or reviewing a pizza, you want to have the plain slice. Because if you don't have a plain, anybody could really make a nice specialty slice. And, you know, yeah. we're in the U.S. We have all types of slices, you know, chicken, bacon, ranch, which really isn't like pizza. It's just fat on, on a slice. And then you got, you know, the buffalo chicken, the barbecue chicken and everything like that. I think um, for me, there's really, I almost like every topping. The only thing I'm not going to really eat is the anchovies or something that's really disgusting that I wouldn't eat normally. I'm willing to try any type of pizza. Overall, the most classic that I do go with, because my girlfriend is super picky, well, fiance, is I'll go with pepperoni or plain. Occasionally, I'll get her to be a little bit wild, but usually it's just the basic stuff. But overall, like, there really isn't many pizzas I'll try. Funny what? enough, somebody at work ordered a pizza. Sorry to cut you off, Jack. Somebody yeah. at work the other day ordered a pizza, and I've never had a more fattening pizza in my life. He got chicken, bacon, mushroom, and pepperoni all on a pizza. Oh, actually doesn't sound too bad. Actually. It was not bad, but I'm telling you, Jack, I felt disgusting after I ate three slices. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to go to the gym that day, and that was not a planned gym visit. It was I have to go burn off these calories because I just probably had a 1,000 calories in three slices. My, like, go-to normally is, like, me and my brother will order, like, two pizzas and we'll, like, swap half and half for, like, yes. meat lovers. So it's, like, I get, like, you know, the meat lovers will generally have, like, you know, chicken, uh, a pepperoni, ham, uh, and, and maybe, like, you know, a bit of bacon as well. And then he'll get just, like, an American so we can just swap it. So then it's not, like, overbearing in, in what we're exactly. sort of eating um, in, in that sort of sense. But I think the most underrated element of a pizza uh, by far is the base and the tomato like yeah, that is good sauce yeah good sauce to make or break a pizza foundations my friend foundations you know the nets are building a foundation of course we're gonna have to relate to the nets we are doing <laughs> a about the brooklyn uh so we need to somehow relate so that's what the nets are building you know we're, we're the tomato we need the good tomato the good dough right now uh, and with that will come you know the flashier topics like you mentioned but um Man, I'm getting hungry. I've only had uh, what uh, American fans will probably not eat very often, but Vegemite on toast today, but maybe I need to get me a slice of pizza. Wait, what exactly is that, Jack? Uh, okay, uh, for the non-cultured Americans that have no idea about Vegemite, it is a, a yeast-based ba yeast spread that is uh, unbearably salty for the <laughs> uh, non-cultured tongue. Non-cultured, whatever. People that don't have it, like... The thing that always annoys me, it's like a, a, a Hugh Jackman will go on like a talk show or, whatever, or Ben Simmons or whatever. They'll go on Jimmy Fallon or James Corden and they'll bring on like Vegemite and then just like dip their spoon in and just eat. I'm like, that's not how you have Vegemite. That's, no one has Vegemite that way. It's not like Nutella. You can't eat it out of the jar. You need to like lather it on toast or bread with like a ridiculous amount of butter. It soaks it up. That, that, that balance is right. And then, you know, you lots of people have their preferences of going overboard with it. But I like a bit of a dab of like, you know, if we're going by like, you know, specific measurements. But um, I might have to introduce you. I'm not sure many places in the States will, but there are plenty of uh, American. Has everything. <laughs> it does. It's the city uh, that there is culinary adventures plenty. It actually doesn't sound that bad. It just sounds like a nice complimentary food. But uh Pizza, I'm just, you know, we we definitely have to get some slices when we're in the city and kind of maybe do a little bit of review of what we get. I'm down for that. Um, I'm going to be eating plenty, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as good as possible while I'm here so I can, you know, absolutely binge as much as possible. But it is New York as well. I'm going to be walking around a heap because it's the, the best walking around city. And guys, if, you know, if you want to catch up with us, we're going to be at the Pelicans game and the Hawks game. So... You know where to find us. Uh, Nick's going to give the spiel as well. So um, hit us up. Uh, I'm more than happy to interact.
Yeah, January 2nd, January 9th at Barclays Center. Jack and I will be around. We'll probably be there early before the game. Definitely love to interact with you guys. Like he said, you can hit us up on Twitter. You can follow the show on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. And as always, thank everybody for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.